Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. the 19th of January 2021 and there is a bit of a countdown clock underway right now to the transition from the 45th to the 46th president of the United States of America and I would say that um, having some perspective in these next 24 hours is going to be required of each of us and all of us and so where in the word are you today where in the word are you today that's it's the right question for every day, and it's the right question for today. Some days we need real perspective. And so on those days, I like to go to the bookends of the Bible, uh, all the way back to the beginning, and yes, then skipping ahead all the way to the very end. So let me encourage you today to read Genesis 1 and read, well, why don't you go ahead and read Genesis 1 and 2, and, and then go turn to the other bookend of the Bible and read Revelation 21 and 22. Let's be sure we have God's perspective on the day in which we live, the days in which we live, by gaining the perspective that God grants to us in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So, your reading assignment today, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, as a family, we are reading through the Gospel of John, and so I'm going to read the opening verses of the Gospel of John because they are reflective of both Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. And they don't really come exactly in the middle of the Bible. That would be somewhere in the Psalms. But, um, but they come midway point. They come at the, uh, at the pinnacle of the story where Jesus, who provides the hinge of human history, appears on the scene. So John chapter 1, the opening verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Gaining some perspective today on the day in which we live, the days in which we live, Yes, the darkness is dark. Yes, Jesus has come. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In fact, Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. Why don't you read the overcomer passages in the Bible if you're looking for places of uh, hope and resilience in these days as well. All right, first up this morning, uh, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. We are going to survey some of the headlines of the day, anticipating... Uh, the historic inauguration, which will be taking place tomorrow, but also um, President Trump's plans as he is leaving office. If we've got time, we're also going to uh, look at a couple of other headlines related to American 
trends, trends in America related to religious practice. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. on um i need to uh, i need to say for those of you now cursing at us uh on our text line that's not appropriate that's not an appropriate way to rise and shine um okay uh, uh oh here's a person now accusing us of sounding demonic um paul um no i know no, it's I a technical glitch um for our <laughs> listeners in the twin cities we're having a problem with a piece of equipment that encodes our audio <sighs> to the transmitters and so please listen online at myfaithradio.com where the yes. stream is running quite clearly or listen on your phone or other connected device on the Faith Radio app. Yeah. Um, and if you have a neighbor who you know normally listens to us and may um, only be listening. Yes, exactly. Sir, we know you're listening on your car radio, the person texting us. And now we know you're texting and driving. Also not safe. Um, OK, so you're going to have to tune in um, if you're. <laughs> Some of you are just going to have to give up the live radio this morning, and you're going to have to tune in via the Faith Radio app or streaming online at MyFaithRadio.com until we get our translators. Um, the glitch fixed. Thank you, Paul. So no sorry, problem. man. These yeah, people yeah. aren't really angry at you. They're angry at technology, yep, not at you. it is. Hey, Nick Pitts, welcome, Why? man. Welcome. Why, hello, hello. I, just don't, I, I don't want to get in the way of Paul, that's for sure. Well, let me just tell you that um, people are quite angsty when they can't apparently get us on the radio. I, you know, it's a, I mean, I appreciate the level of commitment and interest, but um, whoo, let's not, let's not cause mayhem out there in the Twin Cities this morning because we can't get Carmen on the radio. (laughs) If there is a problem to have, though, that would be a good thing. The passion (laughs) of your listeners. And so the Carmination, man, the Carmination, they're mobilizing. (laughs) Okay. Hey, Nick, let's, um. Let's talk about this historic transition taking place. Even now, uh, President Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, really in his last probably 24 hours uh, or so uh, at the White House, planning to leave D.C. tomorrow, but unlike any president has ever left before. And then uh, the first day of uh, the 46th president, Joe Biden. Talk with us just a little bit about anticipating the inauguration and this uh, particular transition, maybe some things that are going to be different about it. Heads up, what, what has your attention? Yeah, there are, there are really two things that have my attention that I'm going to be, or I guess we'll just, we'll just start listing off because it's really more than two. One, I'm going to be really anxious to see over these next 24 hours, some of the individuals that President Trump is going to pardon. You're seeing everyone from white collar criminals, from uh, his time in New York, being on the list to rappers, Little Wayne being on this list as well. And then obviously how many people have been talking is President Trump going to attempt to pardon himself. And so that's one particular piece to pay attention to. Two, just the historical nature of it. President Trump is not going to be um, at the inauguration. He'll be the first president since Andrew Johnson um, that was not at inauguration for his successor. Instead, President Trump has said that he's going to have a military-like uh, band playing and leaving at uh, Andrews Air Force Base. And so that's something to pay attention to. Um, and then if we're looking toward the new administration, the 46th president 
of the United States beginning tomorrow, uh, Joseph Biden. And so it'll be interesting to see one of his first moves we're seeing is just this attempt to want to unify the country. And that's everything from his selection of Garth Brooks, uh, who is a Republican, uh, identified as a Republican and said that he will be performing at the inauguration. Um, and he says this is not a political statement, but a, a statement of unity. And then also, I mean, probably a particular interest to your listeners is that President, uh, President-elect Biden will be going to Catholic Mass before church, rather before the inauguration tomorrow. And he will be joined, uh, according to Punchbowl News, by um, it's a bipartisan affair with Kevin McCarthy, who is the uh, House uh, Minority Leader, as well as uh, various other figures on both sides of the aisle. And so it's just there's a lot going on. And hoping to be able to catch every moment of significance. I'm going to be very interested to watch the secular media's coverage of that particular um, event on the agenda mm-hmm. tomorrow. I'm just yeah. not sure that if um, if the, if if the person being inaugurated were not uh, the person that it is, like if it were not, yeah, you know, a liberal Democrat. Would the mm-hmm. secular media be jumping all over the fact that there is going to be um, not only Catholic mass, but really the only people allowed to participate in Catholic mass are Catholics. It's not like Protestant Christians yeah. can participate in Catholic mass. So it's not even that all Christians are welcome at what is, uh, you know, I mean, is that a unifying event? I mean, I'm not being critical. I'm just oh, I'm, no. be, I'm trying to be a person who's like sober in my observations about what's taking place. And I'm not sure that's a unifying event. Yeah. So you'll remember there there was I mean, we can look. There's two interesting pieces to this one. Um, if you'll remember just comparing it to the last inauguration, you'll remember that uh, Pastor Robert Jeffers here in Dallas, the first Baptist Dallas, um, was uh, gave kind of the sermon for uh, uh, what was a similar service for President Trump uh, before the inauguration. I believe that he preached on uh, for such a time as this out of Esther. Um, and but now uh, what we'll see is that uh, President-elect Biden, he is not like you mentioned, uh, he is Catholic. And so that that is a to sizable contingent of the American populace. But again, it, it is a, it's a contingent. And then, two, he is the second Catholic to assume the presidency. Um, first being, of course, uh, John F. Kennedy. And so it will be interesting to see, uh, uh, because we have changed radically since 1960, that inauguration of JFK, the country is significantly less religious than what it once was, and media members are significantly less um, aware uh, uh, of religious matters. And so it will be interesting to see how the public watches and how they interpret these actions by President-elect Biden tomorrow. Yeah, totally fascinating. I, uh, I like you, will, will watch with great interest. All right, on his way out the door, it looks like the uh, president is preparing to offer clemency to a number of people. There will be more information on that forthcoming. But when we return from a very brief break, I'm going to talk with Nick about um, how the plans for the March for Life which has taken place every year since the passage uh, or since since the decision in the Roe v. Wade case before the Supreme Court, how the March for Life, uh, those plans have been largely disrupted. And so we want to highlight that here as of great concern to those of us uh, who are pro-life. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jimmy 
continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Uh, Nick, have you ever attended a March for Life? I have attended uh, local gatherings of March for Life, but I've never attended the actual um, uh, national gathering in D.C. All right. So I have been there on a couple of occasions um, in recent years as a part of the Evangelicals for Life events. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's my favorite part or my I don't know if that's the right language. Um, What has impressed me most have been the busloads. I mean, busloads of Mm -hmm. young people from across the country who attend the March for Life. That is not happening this year. Um, It's not it's not going to be an in-person event in Washington, D.C. What does uh, what does I don't know, does that say anything about where we are in this particular moment? I mean, the the coronavirus has changed a lot of things. But one of the reasons that the March for Life is not happening in person next week in D.C. is because of the heightened security measures in and around the city. Yeah, yeah. Well, you bring up two great points relative to that. One, just just kind of tragic that we're at this position right now. I think I think it's approximately like seven or eight percent of D.C. has been shut off or closed down because of uh, because of just some of the violence and and, and the uh, evil that's been perpetuated over the past coming days. And so that's tragic because that's really a, a beautiful part and a very meaningful part of the city that really does bring us together. And so there's that. And then two, just the global pandemic. It's just it's just one. It's it's awful. I mean, it's just it's been ten months, Carmen, that we've all been dealing with this. And so many of your listeners, I'm sure, have either been impacted one because they know someone that's passed away, that's been hospitalized, and then all of us have just been doing our best to social distance, to quarantine, and just the idea that almost 400,000 people have lost their lives, and we're just all having to kind of just bear with this news and deal with this in isolation. And so it just is kind of a shock that's taken when you have this beautiful gathering that happens once a year that gathers together individuals of like mind for the cause of life, and they can't come together. And it looked like to be a great lineup this year with individuals like Tim Tebow that will still be speaking virtually, but will you won't hear him in person and some other figures as well. And so it's just, it, I would say that it's it's pretty demoralizing, I would imagine. But the good news, though, is that the, the, the cause of life continues. And this is the first time in years, uh, uh, 1973, that we won't be gathering. But it's also, we're having abortions lower, uh, are lower in number than before 1973 right now because of individuals and their willingness to champion and advocate for life. Yeah, I want to I want to highlight that last point, Nick. We do have fewer abortions in the United States on an annual basis than we did when Roe v. Wade was passed uh, or I, I keep using that language. It's um, was what's the language when the decision was made, when the Roe yeah, v. Yeah. Wade decision was reached by the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, and yet we're still talking about uh, the leading cause of death uh, mm-hmm. in America um, and and the leading cause of death around the world. It's it's. It's totally tragic. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things that I can I, – I really do. It's just tragic that this still continues to just be perpetuated in our land. But I think one of the things that you'll see coming out of this is it just requires creativity for the gathering for the cause of life. 
And if there's anything the pro-life movement has done over the past 50 years, it's identified ways to really champion the cause of life in creative and new ways. And so, yeah, they won't, we won't be able to gather together in D.C., but as they've been, uh, as we've been doing for 50 plus years, it's, we've been championing life in fresh and in new ways and being successful at it too. Like you mentioned, there's not just a lot of young people and millennials and Gen Z that are there at the, at the uh, March for life in DC, the numbers prove to be true that there are more individuals that are pro-life that are younger in nature. Um, they're, they're the majority. And that's something to champion. That's something to celebrate. And it's something to take heart in that even though our plans are getting uh, kind of altered, like so many of our plans this past year, we know that the cause continues and the cause is stronger than ever. Yeah, we're certainly going to watch um, how the incoming president uh, relates to this issue. Um, but we're not going to talk about that today because that's all bad news. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let's take a minute to talk about this Pew Research Annual American Trends panel um, measuring religion, something that Pew Research has been doing, um, you know, doing across generations. What stood out to you in this particular uh, panel? Yeah, so they, they, they talked about one, just the way they were administering the panel. So moving away from an interviewer to kind of a self-administered survey. But then two, what was shocking to me is that, again, you're just finding less and less of the American populace that is continuing to uh, kind of uh, identify with a particular religion, one, and then two, practice, which is just, it, 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 it's a cause for concern, but also uh, seems to it, it would seem <clears throat> it would seem to be endemic, I guess you would say, um, just rel- relative to where we are, where we have individuals that are rioting on the Capitol. Yeah. So, you know, we've got um, it, it, it may be that we're more honest when we are not talking to another person about our practices. That's one of the things that stood out to me. Like if this self-administered survey revealed that you know, fewer people are attending in-person worship than when they do the same survey via the telephone. Maybe it's uh, that people who still have landlines are more likely to attend worship. Like there might be a correlation yeah. there. I don't know for sure. But um, but then also this reality that if I don't have to say it out loud to another person, maybe I'm likely to be more honest Yeah. about how yeah. often um, I actually attend worship. But the numbers are pretty sobering and sad. Yeah, the, you know, uh, it's it's termed the halo effect in and kind of uh, uh, data uh, research uh, surveying whatever uh, is that you tend to say what you think will make you look more advantageous uh, to a surveyor, and so there is a there's kind of a name to that concept, and it is kind of it's just distressing because when when you look at some of the just look at some of the things that are uh, less than desirable that are characterizing the American populace right now. You know, there used to be a day that religion um, and that religious gatherings would really would really be the healing balm uh, that would really bring our country together. So when you think about the idea of loneliness, well, gathering for religion used to be a way that individuals would not be lonely and would have communities. When you think about individuals that don't have as many friends, well, gathering together for Sunday schools or at the local soup kitchens, are used to be opportunities for individuals to make friends. When you think about the idea of a suicide being up, depression being up, uh, some of those things that are just un- undesirably becoming more and more a part of the American experience, 
Uh, religion used to be something that would soothe those things and keep those numbers low. But now we're starting to see this, this uptick in those numbers as well as a downtick in the number of individuals that are participating in religious experiences. And it's just, it's just hard. Yeah. Um, let me just really quickly give people a sense of the numbers here. And I'm going to just I'm going to round these because they're all between 24 and 27 percent. So I'm going to say a quarter, roughly a quarter Mm -hmm. of uh, of Americans say they attend worship once a week. That's awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's only a quarter. Uh, And uh, a quarter say they never I mean, like never, never darken the door of a church in the course of a year. Um, Another 25 percent seldom. Now, a few times a year was another option. So seldom is somewhere between never and a few times a year. So like maybe once, I don't know, uh, something less than a few times a year, but something more than never. That's a quarter of the population, which leaves another quarter of the population somewhere between seldom and weekly. <laughs> so I was saying like, right, it's um, uh, maybe, you know, maybe we could round that out and say, you know, we've got a quarter who never attend, a quarter who, you know, say they seldom attend, which is maybe once a year or twice a year. And then we got a quarter who maybe are quarterly. And then we've got a quarter who are actually, you know, attending worship with a regular with something that we would describe as a regular rhythm. Um, and that's troubling to me. That's just troubling to me. All right. Hey, Nick, we got to leave it right there. So many things for us to talk about. I hope we get to talk uh, again before Valentine's Day because I teed up a story for you about a heart-shaped geode that was found in Uruguay. Yeah, one could say that that reading that article really did rock me. And so I'm going <laughs> to we're going to need to we're going to need to go back to that. Soon. We're going to circle back around to that. All right. Hey, that's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. We'll be right back. Well, what in the world is going on around the world, and what do we as Christians need to be uh, thinking about, looking about, looking at, and considering in these days? Luke Moon from the Philos Project joins me next. We're going to talk about Iran and China, among other international headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When a teenager is causing problems in the family, he isn't the only one in need. Moms and dads desperately need support as well. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In the heat of relentless family conflict, most moms and dads become battered, worn down, or even devastated. I've known lots of parents who are dying on the inside, but too embarrassed to reveal their weaknesses to others. If that's you, get over it. You have to talk to someone. Get a coffee with a trusted friend. Or if you know someone who's struggling with a hurting teen, invite them over. You don't have to be a counselor or therapist. In fact, don't give advice. Just listen. Your simple gesture of kindness will bring immeasurable hope to a friend in need. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. again today. Uh, He works with an organization called the Philos Project that I love. You can follow him on Twitter at LukeMoon1. Luke, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. I know. I just I love talking with you. All right, let's start. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go around the world right now. Let's start in Iran. Bring people up to date on um, the naughtiness afoot there. Well, it's just. I mean, there's a there's a nonstop naughtiness with Iran. I mean, the problem with Iran is they're now a hub for Al Qaeda, uh, which is a little bit surprising because Al Qaeda is is not on the right side on the usual Sunni Shia split. But uh, you know, I guess it's one of the last places where they can comfortably uh, operate without you know worrying too much about being taken out by a drone strike or something like that. So. It's it's a real problem for uh, you know the buildup of of Al Qaeda in the future, particularly with an incoming uh, Biden administration. It will be really uh, curious to see how uh, they they react because I suspect they're going to be aggressive for a little while to see what the Biden administration does to them. Well, and when we when we think about the progress made um, through the Abraham Accords, um, that is certainly. You know, maybe part of the provocation for uh, for Iran to seek to, I, I don't know, re uh, re energize its influence in the region as more and more nations make basic peace with Israel. Right. I mean, the the backdrop of all conversations about the Middle East needs to start with there is an Islamic civil war between Sunni and Shia forces in in the region, right? And the Abraham Accords has consistently been on the Sunni side. That's Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Egypt and UAE and all these countries that have adopted the are are on the Sunni side, uh, and. You know, they see uh, Iran aggression, and so they joined forces basically, and and became friends with the you know with the the guy in the neighborhood who has the most guns, which is which is Israel. Uh, and and on the Iran side, it was, I mean they have obviously Iran and then Syria is under their influence and a couple other states, but it's it's really this kind of. It really, the backdrop for anything in the Middle East is this kind of civil war, and the, the degree to which the Biden administration comes in and injects a bunch of cash back into the Iranian economy by rolling back uh, the you know the sanctions that the Trump administration put in, it you I think you'll see a re-energization of the war in Yemen, uh, the war in Syria, because. Uh, Iran is is a major funder of those, and uh, they don't have cash right now to fund them. And so, if they get cash again, you're going to see them come back and we'll have more wars. It'll be sad. Yeah, it'll be uh, very sad because the people in those places um, are really not uh, in the center of concern of of people who are engaged in proxy wars in their um, in their midst. So, I'm, I'm particularly have the the people in Yemen uh, in focus there when I say that. Let's um let's pivot to uh, to China. Uh, we have been talking here at length over time about um, uh, not only what is happening in, uh, via China in Hong Kong, but also in relationship to the Uyghur people. So um, the United States is imposing a ban on all cotton and tomato products from. Uh, China's uh, Xinjiang province in response to the government's forced labor practices there. Um, that, to me, is a very positive thing. But uh, I do recognize that it's, um, you know, it's complicated in terms of international relations. 
Well, it is complicated in terms of international relations, but it seems to me that it's right for the uh, for the U.S. to to block these you know these products coming out of that part of China because it's slave labor. I mean, the, the, you know, the the real challenge for the U.S. and particularly the business community is there is there seemingly uh, very willingness to stand strong for social justice here in the U.S. while kind of turning a blind eye to what's happening in in China with the Uyghurs. And we need to talk forced sterilization, slave labor, uh, you know, uh, abortion, concentration camps. I mean, for all the talk about, you know, how we've improved as a as human beings on this planet, uh, the, the case of the Uyghurs proves that, uh, you know, the, the dark heart uh, runs, it, it, it never changes, right? There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Yeah, I think that for um, uh, for people in our generation, Luke, who uh, for whom personal narrative and, and one individual's story helps us bring into focus, you know, what's really happening um, you know, it's hard for us to to even understand the scope, let's say, um, of the Holocaust because we're talking about millions of people. But when we bring one person, one individual story into focus and we get to know what one individual person's experience um, was, you know, I'm thinking here maybe of Anne Frank, like, right, we're able then to um, enter in and understand. And I'm wondering um, how you responded to the very personal uh, first-person testimony that was published in the Guardian um, by a woman who um, who was in one of these Uyghur concentration camps. Yeah, I mean it was it's heartbreaking. I mean it's heartbreaking to to know um, to you know basically the way she describes it is you know bits of my soul shattered and broke off and I'll never recover them again, right? Like that kind of deep emotional pain uh, and and knowing that. You know, because uh, you're, you know, the wrong ethnic group in China, that you can be like forced sterilization and that kind of thing, and and the seemingly silence out of the, you know, the very aggressively, you know, woke crowd, the social justice crowd, Nike and Apple, like they they, and then the NBA. I mean, like the NBA hasn't said anything about the Uyghurs, uh, and that's a real problem. And that just it, it's a it's a it's a shame on those companies that that they allow themselves to be used in, in that way because they're concerned about losing uh, market share or being you know having restrictions applied to them. Uh, you know, it's it's a real um, it's a real shame, and and they these companies need to. Uh, choose which side of the social justice uh, bandwagon they're going to be on. Yeah, for those of you who want to read the article to which I'm referring, um, it is uh, at The Guardian, theguardian.com. Our souls are dead. How I survived a Chinese re-education camp for Uyghurs. It is uh, the personal testimony of a woman who, having lived in France for 10 years, returned to China uh, to do some due diligence related to signing some papers. And uh, while she was there, she was arrested um, and she was placed in a re-education camp um, where she uh, not only was um, brainwashed and tortured, 
um, but where uh, the Chinese government um, forcibly sterilized her. Um, And so we want to recognize in the story of this one individual what is happening millions of times over at the hands of the communist Chinese in relationship to a a small, um, relatively small, we're still talking about millions of people, um, uh, religious minority known as the Uyghurs. And so let us not lose sight of this, even as we, you know, beat the drum uh, for concerns of our own uh, of our own freedoms. All right, Luke Moon and I are going to return to our conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is Continuing my conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. You can find him on Twitter at Luke Moon One. Um, Luke, let's um, let's expand our conversation a little bit related to the incoming Biden administration, um, the the naming of Samantha Powers, reversals of some Trump policies or practices around the world. Um, some observations that you'd like to make. Yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a very interesting, I think, first few weeks. As you know, it, it was for a while. I think that because the Senate was in, it was potentially going to be in the hands of the Republicans, there was a little more caution about who was going to be chosen for political appointment positions. Uh, that seems to have, uh, you know, now not be as significant anymore. And so it'll be, I mean, really interesting to see who comes in. Right now, we know that uh, Samantha Powers, who who uh, was in the Trump administration, her her role is now uh, in charge of USAID. And I, I, I'm not sure if there's someone who has uh, worst judgment in, in in foreign affairs than Samantha Powers. I mean, she basically watched, uh, you know, Syria fall apart. I mean, all, all of the, the, you know, the major fires of the, of the uh, Middle East in 2014, uh, you know, the, the, the Obama administration just did not do the right thing, walking back from red lines, uh, just uh, watching, uh, you know, Syria burn, watching Yemen burn, uh, just kind of giving $400 million to to the Iranian regime and then selling $400 million worth of weapons to the Saudis and their partners. I mean, it just fueled just a bloodbath in the Middle East the last two years of the Obama administration. And the problem is, is that most of those people who were part of that are now going to lead uh, Biden's uh, administration's foreign policy plan, which is which seemingly is a, just a disaster. And I also don't think that, I mean, on so many issues, I mean, Biden was not for taking out bin Laden. Biden was, Biden was on the kind of the wrong side of a lot of foreign policy uh, decisions. Uh, and now he's the guy in charge. And so it will be very interesting how this plays out in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to get tested uh, by China. We're going to get tested by Iran. We're going to get tested by uh, al-Qaeda. Uh, wouldn't be surprising to get tested by Turkey uh, and Russia, uh, just as, you know, the major empiric powers in the world right now are all looking at uh, what is the Biden administration going to do uh, when we throw a little muscle around, right? And that will be uh, so. I, I think we'll see very soon uh, some some major kind of tests of 
the fortitude of Biden and also a test of, you know, especially after, you know, basically the world watched, uh, you know, what happened uh, January 6th. I, I think, you know, everybody's the, the perception out there is, oh, see, America's weak, America's divided, which we are, uh, and and they're going to play into that as and and harm our interests if they can. You know, it looks as if um, re-entering the Paris Climate Change Agreement, uh, re-entering the Iran nuclear deal, are certainly on um, Biden's, you know early agenda. We absolutely expect, um, because it happens every time there's a reversal in terms of the party in power in the uh, executive branch, we absolutely anticipate a reversal uh, again on the Mexico City policy using uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars to fund abortions around the world. Um, The the part... I mean, abortion, I mean, it's also, I mean, there's there's a very strong, uh, I mean, the the U.S. uh, under the Obama administration had, uh, you know, um, same-sex marriage festivals in our embassies in Pakistan, right? Like the kind of – there's a lot of social uh, issues that are driven uh, by foreign policy uh, that will come into play as well. Yeah, how foreign policy is used to drive social agenda, um, the social engineering that takes place through – American foreign policy is very significant and often not discussed. And so uh, thank you for highlighting that. That's, um, I, I think, a, of critical concern to those of us who you know, operate out of a Christian worldview and yeah. want to see, um, you know, want to see peace, but not um, but not peace at any uh, at any price, particularly when you're talking about millions of people um, in the crosshairs of um, of some of these decisions. I just, you know, my heart, my heart just breaks. I do think that it also, um, it also drives out. I mean, it's, it's for all the people who are complaining about American, you know, the empire and imperialism and all that sort of stuff, seemingly have no problem uh, forcing abortion upon women in in Africa and and forcing same sex marriage on on you know parts of uh, South America, right? Like that's that's a fairly strong and aggressive, um, uh, you know, imperialistic tendencies right there. And it, it seemingly, it, that, that part's okay, I guess, as long as the pol- you're on the right side of the policies or whatever. Yeah. I, when, when we talk about exporting cultural uh, ideas, it's not okay uh, in, the, in the view of many that Christians would seek to um, export uh, our, our ideas, our convictions, um, but those whose uh, ideas and convictions run contrary to what the scriptures lead us to believe um, are celebrated when they export their ideas and their ideologies. There is um, there there is open hypocrisy there, no question about it. Hey, can I ask you a question about refugees? Because I do think that one of the things that we will see reversed um, in what I view as a positive way, I do believe the number of refugees that the United States will be open to receiving. Um, will will expand again under the Biden administration? Um, agreed. Yeah, I, I'm sure it will. I'm I, I'm not quite sure how how you know how what the numbers will be. The problem with our refugee policy in the U.S. is that we tend to uh, you know in, in a place like uh, you know the Middle East, the only people we were, we were bringing into the U.S. were were Muslims. 
Christians, right? And yet it's the it was the Christian minorities that were suffering the most, right? And mm-hmm. so but the, the, my issue with a lot of the the, the refugee policy is that uh, it's it actually doesn't end up helping the people who are most at risk. Uh, it helps kind of the the you know the it provides political cover uh, if, if you bring in the right group, right? So if my, my guess is the kind of refugees we'll see a lot of is is Muslims. We'll see a lot of people who are. Uh, like refugees for, um, you know, transgender or um, uh, mm. lesbian or, or gay men. Some sort of soji uh, discrimination. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. That will probably be the prior- prioritization of the refugees into the U.S. Uh, there is this kind of immigrant march that is that is working its way up to the U.S. It's supposed to arrive, I think, today or tomorrow. Uh, that will be, again, one of those tests of the Biden administration because they're like, we're going to tear down the wall and we're going to let everybody come in. And now there's a whole bunch of people standing at the border saying, you said you were going to let us in. And what's he going to do about it? My my guess is that he's going to adopt the same policy as the Obama administration did and the Trump administration did, which is to say, mm, no, you, you need to stay on that side until – until uh, we figure out what we're going to do on this side. Uh, you know, and I, the nice thing for, for the Biden administration is they're going to be able to claim, you know, coronavirus as a, as their. Oh, as a reason to keep decision. the, to keep the border yeah, closed. But, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, they're going to adopt my guess. Is they a similar policy because it yeah. was working. Um, All right. We got uh, to leave it right there, Luke. Thank you so much. As always, sorry to cut you off here at the end. I'm up against a hard blade. Hey, absolutely. Um, Happy New Year. We look forward to talking with you again soon. That's Luke Moon from the Philos Project. You can follow him on Twitter at Luke Moon One. We'll be right back. All right, it's always sobering to consider what the bad actors around the world uh, see when there is a transition afoot in the United States. So let's be mindful of that. Again, reading assignment today, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Let's be sure we're reading the bookends as we are uh, considering our perspective on the things of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.